Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yeah. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Tuesday, November 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Election day is here, and the economy and inflation continue to be the top issues for voters. To that end, according to recent surveys, more full-time workers are feeling the pain and having to get a second job to supplement their income. Nearly three-quarters of workers said they need more work to help keep up with inflation. Ray Smith, careers reporter at The Wall Street Journal, Joins us for how more workers are looking for side hustles. Next, how much are you paying for water? Corporate America has convinced more people to buy water, whether it's bottled, boxed, or in a can. For most of America, the water coming from the tap is perfectly fine, except for notable exceptions like Flint, Michigan. What's happened is that people have lost more confidence in public infrastructure, and clever advertising by packaged water companies is making us buy something that is mostly free. Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox, joins us for more. Finally, museums have seen a recent spat of climate change activists throwing foods such as tomato soup and mashed potatoes at famous paintings in order to draw more attention to their causes. It has prompted museums to issue zero bag policies and even hire security consultants to teach their staff new surveillance tactics on how to spot would-be vandals. Yael Cohen, deputy editor for Style News at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how museums are fighting back. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. It's also spreading into, you know, entry-level white-collar professions. So we're seeing more white-collar people with full-time jobs that are getting part-time jobs as well. Joining us now is Ray Smith, careers reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you. Well, let's talk about what's going on right now in the job market and the economy. You know, we're seeing the holidays come, so a lot of people are going to start doing the holiday shopping. We're seeing inflation still at all-time highs. And what we're seeing is a lot of full-time workers being pinched by what's going on. They're having to get second jobs to supplement their incomes. From one of the uh, latest surveys we've seen, nearly three-quarters of workers say they need additional work to make enough income due to inflation. So we know it's hitting people really hard right now. Ray, you spoke to a number of people, you spoke to a number of experts. What are we seeing out there? Yeah, what we're seeing is that many more Americans who have full-time jobs are getting part-time jobs or engaging in gig work to make ends meet because inflation is so high, they're finding that their dollar doesn't stretch as much with their full-time job. And so they're resorting to part-time jobs. And this is a phenomenon that 
it's not just occurring among blue collar workers. It's also spreading into, you know, entry level white collar professions. So we're seeing more white collar people with full time jobs that are getting part time jobs as well. When we got the October jobs report, it showed that the number of Americans working part-time in addition to their full-time jobs increased 6% year over year. So we're at 4.5 million people who had that second job. And then, you know, there's been a bunch of surveys done by this. Another survey found that 81% of Gen Z and 77% of millennial workers saying they're pursuing those gig work jobs or considering additional side work. So it seems like everybody's hurting out there. Exactly. And what we're seeing is twofold. Not only are people feeling like they they need a second job just to afford, and I'm not even talking about people who just want money to like splurge on things or who have lavish lifestyles. It's basically to afford groceries and pay bills and to keep afloat and not go into debt. So we're seeing people either getting second jobs or they are doing things like driving Uber or doing DoorDash or basically reselling, reselling designer sneakers or designer fashions from their own closets, finding some other way to make extra income, whether it be a side hustle or a part-time job. And again, it's this feeling that the money that I make in my full-time job is just not cutting it anymore. You know, several people who I talked with, this is the first time they've ever had a second, you know, a part-time job. They told me, if you told me that in their careers, they just never thought, they thought that, you know, their main job or their full-time job would be enough. And they never imagined they would need a second job. And so for a lot of Americans, this is a new thing for them. And it's, it's basically because of high inflation. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who, for sure, will work a, a couple of part-time jobs, and that's kind of the normal for them. But if you have a full-time job, yeah, you know, you're really banking that, that you know, the time that you're spending working there, all that that's really all you're going to need. But now they're not finding that's true. And you mentioned it too, the return of the gig economy. A lot of people are going back to that where during the pandemic, those places, some of them took really big hits like driving for Uber and Lyft, right? Those really weren't working as much. Delivery jobs were really key during that time, but the driving side of things wasn't there. And we're seeing, you know, even places offer a lot of perks for part-timers, for weekend workers, because they're still facing a lot of staff shortages and they need to incentivize people to still look for those jobs. That's an excellent point. We're still suffering chronic shortages from the pandemic, especially in retail and the restaurant industry. And so what we're seeing is there's still a lot of jobs available, part-time and full-time. And some of those employers are really sweetening the pot and raising wages and offering other perks for these jobs. And so people will be surprised. One person I talked to was surprised at how much the part-time job was offering him an hour because in the past it wouldn't have been that high. So there's a lot of desperation out there on the employer side and on the employee side. Tell me a little bit about some of the conversations that you had with people out there. You were talking to a guy who's a paver, and he took a second job in the restaurant industry, working on Saturdays and Sundays. And how much is he earning extra? Maybe about $200 each week in extra income. And, you know, he he's married. He has a wife who has a, a job as well. But just even that bit, you know, that much right there, those $200 extra is really coming through. And, and other people that you spoke to, right, that's kind of in the range that they're getting you know, maybe working two or three days a week. And they say that it's helping. I mean, every little bit helps. And 
for some of them, it's, you know, the difference between scaling back on this or that. They've already scaled back on dining out, for instance, and they've seen their grocery bills rise and their basic necessities rise. Um, and they've tried to cut back on driving because of the gas prices. But this little extra just helps them get by without having to worry or use the credit cards more and go into debt. And that's the bottom line. These, these are hardworking people who really don't want to resort to having to go into debt and use their credit cards to buy groceries. And so to some people that may not sound like a lot of money for all the work that they're putting in on the, on the side, but every little penny sort of adds up and it does help in the end. Ray Smith, careers reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. While we have restored water quality, this system is still imperfect. And we are going to address issues throughout the duration of the state's response. Joining us now is Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about water, more specifically bottled water, boxed water, canned water. You know, it's one of those things that have really taken off this industry. And uh, there's, you know, countless celebrities endorsing smart water, these canned waters, boxed waters, whatever it may be. And, you know, for the most part here in the United States, drinking tap water is perfectly fine. You know, we've been kind of sold this notion that it's better if it's bottled or boxed or canned and all that. And like I said, you know, for the most part, say for certain places like Flint, Michigan or Jackson, Mississippi, you know, where they have some really problems with their infrastructure and the water going on there, for the most part, it's pretty good. So, uh, Emily, tell uh, you wrote an article talking about how corporate America has really convinced us to spend so much money on water. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so, I mean, if you think back on it, or I guess let's take a look at American history, bottled water has not always been a thing. This kind of dates back to the 70s when the state started to import kind of fancy water from Europe when, you know, certain materials, plastics started to become cheaply available and suddenly we started to see bottled water pop up. And in the 90s is when it really starts to take off, when companies really start to realize that there is a market here, that people can be packaged and sold a thing that's coming out of their faucets uh, for cheap or for free. I remember the 90s growing up in early 2000s, and suddenly my mom, there were plastic water bottles all over her car in a way that there had not been when I was younger. And, you know, companies have a lot of tactics to get people to buy. They position water as a healthier alternative to sodas, which, sure, but also to tap water, which, as you said, sometimes true, but sometimes not. Tap water is more heavily regulated than bottled water, which is something I actually did not know. But I do think at the core of this, whether it be boxed water, bottled water, canned water, you know, whatever the liquid death thing is now. The <laughs> reason that we can kind of be sold on this is because people don't trust their water, even though they, in most cases, have no reason not to. And you know, it's a complicated story here, but I think one thing that is important to note that one expert I talked to told me about is that you know, we have to get a notification every time there's a problem with the water. So sometimes you'll see a boil water notice and that's good, like full stop, good, good, good. But it kind of puts into the, the this idea out into the public, well, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong. And so people don't trust their water and marketers have found ways to kind of play into that. And between you know Jennifer Aniston telling you, look how I look with this smart water, therefore buy this smart water. 
and you kind of feeling like, well, maybe she has a point, right? Maybe there is something a little bit wrong with my water. Even though, like I said before, generally water coming out of your faucet, fine. Yeah. And, you know, this is really kind of a call for better public infrastructure for water. You know, there are a lot of these water systems in a lot of cases are aging. As you mentioned, when the the only time I think I hear about boil water situations is, you know, if there's a hurricane and water systems are knocked out. But then we do hear about stories, as I mentioned earlier, about Flint, Michigan, that had a legitimate water problem there. And so you do hear about those things. And then you kind of start thinking about yourself, you know, even filters, even putting filters on certain things doesn't always uh, make the water necessarily cleaner or anything. There, it, it might not be filtering out the stuff it should be filtering out. Sometimes it's just a matter of taste. Right. I mean, that's the thing where I, you know, I live in New York City, where the tap water famously here is very good. And, and one person I talked to for this, he had also grown up here, and you know, we were talking about, I have plenty of friends who still use the filter. And let's be honest, how often are you changing your filter? Are you just making it worse? But I think it's important to note, like, if you do want to use a filter, and again, I'm not a scientist here, I'm not an expert, but the people I talked to said, test your water to see what it is that you are trying to filter for if it's even there and like if you think it makes it taste better that's fine whatever you do you but a lot of the time people are buying filters kind of not quite knowing what they're even trying to accomplish with it and again like that's the question of marketers telling you that you need a thing that sure maybe you need it but if you don't know what you're filtering for like what in the world are you doing you're just wasting your money and then there's the matter of the environmental impact obviously we know there's a problem with plastic here in the world plastic fills up a lot of places. Uh, you know, I'm not so much sure on you know, how much waste the box water or the can water does, but I definitely know that people have remarked about taste on the last two. But the, the environmental factor is also a, a big selling point that a lot of people try to make, but also is a huge problem. Well, and also I think it's important to note, like if you look into the research on this, like boxed water, canned water is not necessarily better. It to make the aluminum can it has a bigger environmental impact than, than to make the bottle. Boxed water, I remember years ago, I toured a recycling plant with a friend and we were talking to the guide and we brought up boxed water and she was like, it's not true that it's somehow better. And so with those, you sort of have this like, double whammy situation where we've created this environmental problem with this proliferation of bottled water, right? And then we create these ancillary industries that are like, hey, we're better because we're not as bad as the bottled guy when like still the original question is like just maybe you can probably drink the water coming out of your faucet off of the glass that's sitting in your cabinet. Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! 
Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it, that's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV, on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is worth more? Or life? Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? Joining us now is Yael Cohen, Deputy Editor for Style News at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Yael. Thank you for having me. Well, recently we've seen uh, a rash of uh, museum vandalizations. We're seeing climate activists, the climate change protesters go in and throw a variety of things on very famous artworks. There was tomato soup, mashed potatoes, pea soup, I think was one of them. Very recently we saw uh, the mashed potatoes was the more recent one. And so we're seeing how museums are trying to fight back on this right now. They're trying to institute zero bag policies. So now you can't bring anything in there. They're contracting with security consulting firms so that their uh, local security that can get training to spot these types of people. There's a lot of stuff going on. So Yael, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing with all of it? So a lot of museums have been, you know, they're not used to having climate protesters come into the museum. They're used, you know, people have tried to steal art, people have tried to take pictures with selfie sticks. And I think that they were really taken aback by protesters coming in and throwing food and art also, with the, you know, they say the intention is not to ruin the art, but it's still pretty alarming for them. So they have had to step up security, make sure art is behind glass, hire um, security firms who are going to send in teams of people to kind of test out, stake out the security, make sure they know how to identify people who are eating suspiciously. You know, they're called red teams. They're really doing this also at a time where, they're still kind of coming out of the pandemic and struggling financially and getting attendance up and making sure they have the staffing properly. So they have all of these considerations happening all at the same time. And it's really been a challenge for them. These protesters, uh, so the latest one we saw was this past Friday in Germany. The activists uh, were from a group called Last Generation, and they went into a Rome museum. They uh, through pea soup on a Vincent van Gogh piece there. Luckily, as you mentioned, right, some are instituting glass over these things. So in that case, the painting itself wasn't damaged. But then, you know, sometimes they'll glue their, their hands to the wall. They're trying to make the issues of climate change come to the forefront and start with, you know, uh, maybe be part of the conversation. But, you know, anecdotally, from what I've seen, a, a lot of people are just eye rolling at these activists. Uh, a lot of people saying, you know, the artwork itself has nothing to do with this. What have you heard, at least on that front of things? The climate change protesters say it brings attention to the issues. Whether that is helpful to them or not is not, you know, I mean, I can't speak to that. I can't speak to that. I mean, it certainly caused the museums to ratchet up security, which means that, you know, if you're a regular attendee and you want to bring in food or a bag, they're going to have zero bag policies. So it changes the experience for 
the museum goer, the climate change protesters are saying that, look, we've tried other things. Nothing gets as much attention. It's been working. So how people receive that is, you know, I guess a matter of debate. And to your point about changing the experience, so in a lot of museums, food is allowed so that people can go have a picnic on the grounds, whatever the case may be. So in a lot of cases, food is allowed there. So that's going to change for them. Uh, As we mentioned, some are instituting no bag policy. So now you can't bring anything in. And, uh, you know, to your point earlier about staffing shortages, a lot of times they're not checking bags, really, maybe a metal detector or something, but that's not going to detect any food or anything like that. And one of the things that some of these security consulting and training firms say Watch out for visitors who show up solo, but then once they get in, they start communicating with people non-verbally, maybe start pointing, start coordinating things. So these are how the security teams at the museums now are being trained, to things to look out for that way. That's what the museums are saying, that they are going to have to institute no-bag policies. They do have lax rules around food. Maybe they're going to have to tighten them. Not all museums, but some. They will need to keep their eye out for any sort of activity that indicates someone might be going to throw pea soup at a Van Gogh. So I think all of this stuff is going, obviously, change, you know, is, is impacting the way the museums operate and how some attendees might experience going to the museum. You made mention in the article recently on the Wall Street Journal about how there is a Hollywood connection to this. I guess there's a group, the Beverly Hills Climate Energy Fund, that has some you know pretty big time donors there that uh, are funding some of these other groups. And you know now they say that their money is intended for legal things, not not any of this stuff. But there is money coming in that way. There does seem to be funding from some groups that are in Hollywood who say you know they're not funding these protests directly, but focus more on legal fees, um, as you mentioned. So there is that aspect of it that kind of, I think, is interesting in terms of looking at why are these protests happening? Why are they happening now? Do the people who support climate change activism support the protests that are happening? Yael Cohen, deputy editor for Style News at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.